When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Record. Nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. Record. As in Major League Baseball announced, or maybe it was leaked, that they had record revenue. Used to love being able to make these announcements. Industry revenue. That is the revenue of all 30 teams. Add them all up. The ticket sales, food, beverage, merchandise, Every bit of revenue, corporate sales, naming rights, local broadcast revenue, put that in a pot. And then add in the national broadcast revenue, all the national sponsors like Lone Depot, right? The Lone Depot League Championship Series, put them all in a pot, add them up, and it comes up to $10.8 billion. Pretty good, right? Baseball was excited. That was always part of owners' meetings where they would put the deck, that's a presentation deck. You may do those in your place of work where you make these presentations and you have PowerPoints and they would have announcements and they'd show a video that would make all the owners feel good about themselves and it would show highlights of the year. They would do this during the off-season meeting or as a preview. There's an owner's meeting in January or February where they're previewing the 2023 season. They'll show the World Baseball Classic because that's coming up in February. So they'll show highlights of previous World Baseball Classics. And can you imagine the people who work on these meetings? It's like people in the White House working on State of the Union, right? It's a big thing. You work on it, you present it. I'm not comparing State of the Union to an owner's meeting, but it's the same concept. You're working on a document when you work in commissioner's office for the owners and the presidents to look at, and it's about making everyone feel good about themselves. That's, that's really it. So the deck comes and it shows all the revenue and it shows the, the rebound from the pandemic. But what happens is that it comes with a cautionary tale. And the cautionary tale is always related to what percentage of that revenue is going to player expenses. They don't talk about how much you're paying your coaches or your manager. They don't talk about how much you're paying your president or your GM. They don't talk about how much you're paying yourself or how much money you're making or losing. They're talking about how much money you're paying players. And what they do is they do a slide. And the slide always shows the percentage of revenue that is going to players. I would raise my hand and say that's all fine and dandy, but the rule of thumb from the commissioner always was, and Bud Selig would stand in the front of the room and say this, 
You can't have more than 50% of your revenue going to player payroll. You're guaranteed to lose money that way. He ran a team, he would know, and he's right. That's the general rule. Around 50% goes into player comp. What's changed over the years is that the amount of non-player comp that you are paying has been increasing at an increasing rate. What that means is not just the salary that you read about when you sign a player for a $10 million one-year contract, you say to yourself, all right, that's $10 million, that's all you're paying. That's not correct. In addition to the money you're paying the player, you're paying into the benefits plan, and that's several million dollars. On top of that, you are paying for minor league players, minor league expenses. You have all sorts of other major expenses that cut into your bottom line. So while the general rule is 50% of industry revenue, people then add up and say, well, I can't imagine why player payrolls aren't higher. So let me bring to your attention something that goes on when you're putting together your budget, when you're talking about your minor league operations. This year, for the first time, major league owners have to think about minor league unions. Remember when the minor league players all got together and we all celebrated, finally, they're gonna be represented by a union. Great, they're gonna have better food than chicken tenders in the clubhouse. They're gonna have better transportation, better hotels, better facilities, hip, hip, hooray. Who's paying for that? Higher salaries for the minor leaguers. Let's give them a living wage so they don't have to live with their families rooming with tons of other players. Do you know that it was only 30 years ago when major league players had roommates on the road, by the way. But in any case, Wayne Rosenthal, if you're listening, and I think he may listen to the show from time to time. The first time I met Wayne Rosenthal, who was the pitching coach of our World Series team, Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the Marlins, at that time owned the Oklahoma City 89ers. I was in uh, college and I wasn't working in baseball. Obviously, I was in college. I was at Wisconsin. I was far from working in sports or working anywhere. And uh, I had a chance to meet some of the players who played in Oklahoma City. And that was a farm team for the Texas Rangers back then. And that was when Juan Gonzalez and Dean Palmer, remember those players? I don't know if you remember those players, Coca. I mean, it was steroid heaven back then. The Texas Rangers, they had Pudge and all these other players who were may or may not have been doing anything, may or may not have tested positive at any point, may or may not have looked like they could have used some Clearasil. All of that said, I would go see uh, the players and they'd be in rooms and then they'd be with the Texas Rangers and they'd have roommates. It was all pretty fun back, back in the day. But in any case, there's been a lot of improvement in theory to the quality of life for minor leaguers, but there's a cost. So there've been a bunch of articles written recently, who's gonna bear the cost? And people are getting down on owners and saying, well, you're a major league owner, your team is worth billions of dollars. Don't you dare pass along those costs to minor league owners or to minor league players. Guess what? Have you ever heard of something called the fuel surcharge when you rent a car or when you fly on an airplane? Have you ever heard of a fuel surcharge when you're getting Amazon packages because of the delivery drivers, because things cost more? What about a surcharge when you have to increase 
for Amazon because their employees are unionized? Or why do you think that Starbucks spent so much time trying to make sure their employees don't get unionized because their prices would increase, their expenses would increase, and then your cup of coffee would increase. And if you no longer wanna pay that price for a cup of Starbucks coffee, there's gonna be a point where you're gonna say, all right, I've hit my limit, I'm willing to go to Dunkin'. And if you are running Starbucks, you don't want people to go to Dunkin'. So there's always a point, it's called price elasticity, where the consumer says no mas. Because prior to that point, what people who own companies do is they pass along the expenses, the increased expenses onto you. Yes, that's true. The you in this case is the owner of the minor league team. And then the you in this case is the people who go to minor league games because your ticket prices are going to increase. Major league owners have already decided they are not gonna bear the brunt of all these increased expenses. They're gonna pass it along the way every industry does. They pass it along to someone else. Don't cut into my bottom line. I'm gonna cut into your disposable income. So there's gonna be a lot of fighting that goes on right now, trust me. And the fighting is gonna be between major league owners and minor league owners. And guess who wins that? Major league owners. And the way they win it is come this collective bargain agreement because they're negotiating one with the minor league players, come this time, right? They're going to again contract the number of affiliated teams that major league baseball teams have to support. Just watch it, it's gonna happen. So Major League Baseball announces this amazing new revenue. They're almost at $11 billion. Here's what they don't say in any release, and we always would get it, not in the main deck during the owners meeting, but it would be talked about like at the dinners or in the committees. Where's the NFL? The NFL has about $17 billion. The NBA used to be in third place around six or seven. The NBA is catching MLB, and uh, that is something that MLB does not ever want to have happen. So one of the ways that you keep your revenue increasing is you look at what the baked in increases are in your sponsorship deals, in your local rights deals. So while Major League Baseball announced this record in revenue, don't forget that a huge part of it is they started these new national broadcast deals this year. That accounted, right? They, they had revenue of 10.7 billion in 2019. That's the last full year pre-COVID. They're up to 10.8, right? So there's been an increase of $100 million from 10.7 to 10.8. But by the way, here's a shocker. They had new broadcast revenue nationally of about $300 million. That means there's been a decrease in other areas of revenue, but they're not gonna announce that, they're not gonna talk about it. Where has the decrease come? It's from you. You guys aren't going to games anymore the way you used to. Attendance is down, revenue, gate revenue is down. Now, one of the reasons attendance is down is that not as many teams are lying about their attendance the way we used to. That was always a way to keep attendance going up. That's why you could have uh, pretty good PR, right? It's something that Bud Seelig really wanted. He wanted attendance to go up every single year and that's announced attendance. That doesn't mean that your gate revenue is improving or increasing. It means that you are pretending that there are more people coming to your games so you can say, hey, our game is more popular than ever. Stop writing articles that baseball has aging demographics, that baseball is disappearing, that baseball is less relevant. Look, we are bringing in all of these fans. And MLB would do these press releases. They were always fun for me because I would do it too. 
It's so silly, right? We've got more people coming to Marlins games than go to Dolphin games or Heat games. (laughs) That's true. We've got 10 times the number of home games. Our attendance is not 10 times Dolphins attendance. Not even close. Basketball, there are twice as many baseball games as basketball games. In theory, if it's equal, you'd have twice as much attendance, right? That'd be the math. But we'd always say, we've got more attendance as a team or as an industry. But now when you lie less about your attendance, your attendance numbers go down. But that's not the focus of owners. I never once was asked by a team owner, hey, what's your attendance? Nope. The question you get asked is, and the question that you find an answer to because you get numbers from other teams, what is your gate revenue? Because if I've got 10 people come and they each pay a dollar, that's the same as one person coming who pays $10. Except I get to say my attendance is 10 versus my attendance being one. So there's many people who would say, I'd rather have 10 people at a dollar than one person at $10. But the question is, those 10 people who come in at a dollar, how much other dollars are they spending? Are they going to buy a hot dog and a beer or because their price point was so low, they'd rather bring in their own candy and their own food and plastic bags in their clear see-through bag, hide it in their pockets, and then not spend money on any of your food. If the one person who spends $10 on a ticket then says, hey, I feel good about myself, I'm gonna buy a beer and a hot dog and a shirt, that one person has given you what's called a per cap. The per cap then of that one person, if he buys all those things, let's say he spends $20 on others, other items, that means his per cap is now $30. That one person spent $30 by walking in your door, $10 on tickets, $20 on other things. If your 10 people spend a dollar on tickets and only a dollar on food each, That means those 10 people have a per cap of $20 total. That's a $2 per cap. So there's so many ways that you can maneuver these numbers. It's all about PR. I'm not saying that MLB is doing a bad job of revenue by any stretch. Noah Garden, who's running their revenue, chief revenue officer, has done a terrific job of getting corporate sponsorship up. National corporate sponsorship has set a record. There's companies who want to be associated with Major League Baseball. There's companies who are willing to name stadiums as part of their corporate sponsorship deals on a national level. All of those things are positive. But when you look at what players are being paid, when you look at what total payroll is, remember on a previous show, we told you, don't focus on all the $300 million contracts. Don't focus on the players making $40 million a year. Focus on total industry expense. Add up the payrolls of all 30 teams this year and then compare it to the payroll of all 30 teams from last year. And that will show you what the payroll increase is and then match that to the revenue increase and see whether or not 50 cents of every additional dollar is going toward players. When you have owners trying to make up for the pandemic, you're seeing this with airlines, right? Have you noticed if you're flying that your airline tickets are hugely expensive? They're all, all these companies are trying to make up to all, for all the COVID losses. They're trying to hit eight run home runs to make up for the losses to get their earnings per share up to get their stock prices back up because all stocks got depressed this year. The market was down in historic ways. So there are things that companies are doing shortcuts trying to figure out how do we make as much money as quickly as possible. 
sports owners are doing the same thing. They had years of losses that they did not plan on, sizes of losses they did not plan on, and they're trying to make it better, and they're trying to make it up. How do you do it? You do it by lowering your player expenses. So one player who got his expenses lowered, Carlos Correa. We've talked about him a few days in a row. Carlos Correa officially signed his deal. He did not get three hundred. And $15 million from the Mets. He did not get $350 million from the Giants. He got his $200 million from the Twins. And then something happened. I hope you watched it. There was a press conference. And guess who was at the dais? You know, Scott Boris was there because that's his rule. If you sign one of my players and you have a press conference, I will be at the head table. He is the only agent who requires this. And teams give in every time. Raise your hand if you've given in. Yep. We've given in. I didn't want to give in. I made an issue of it with our last Boris big signing was uh, Wei in Chen. And I was ready to go to the mat. I was ready to say to our owner, and I did say to our owner, I'd rather not sign Chen than have Boris at the table. And the owner said to me, don't be ridiculous. You're going to give up signing a guy to be our number two starter behind Jose. You're going to give that up because Boris wants to be at the table. Let him be at the table. And that is the exact behavior that informs his future decisions. That's how every owner thinks. Don't upset Scott Boris, G-M-A-B. So Scott Boris gets up there and he starts talking. He gives some quotes during the press conference and they're so good. So how do you explain when you have a Correa press conference, you have to explain how he went from 350 million to 200 and you have to make sure that your player, this is critical when you're an agent, You've got to make sure that your player says that he is happy where he is, that he is happy with the work that the agent did. Because you don't want prospective players out there saying, wow, Scott Boris didn't get it done. So Scott Boris made sure that Carlos Correa praised him, and he did. Carlos Correa said, it was a lot of challenges thrown at us throughout the whole process, but at the end of the day, Boris got me to a place where I'm happy, where I feel right at home. (laughs) You think that Carlos came up with that on his own? You think that they don't practice and they don't rehearse and they don't media train what they're going to say? You think it's all off the top of their heads? Forget about it. So Boris then had to explain what went on with the Giants and the Mets physicals. You have to have an answer. His answer was a great one. I must admit it's the exact answer that I would give, but I want you to see through it because it's strictly for PR. He tried to explain to you that doctors can have different opinions. We know this. So far, I agree. And then he said, we're not here to fault exterior physicians and their opinions. But I will say that medicine, particularly in sport, orthopedic functionality and clinical exam on a day-to-day basis is far more important than an MRI. What he's saying is that Carlos Correa got an MRI in San Francisco, got an MRI in New York. The doctors in San Francisco and New York saw something on an MRI that troubled them. But the doctors in Minnesota, either they saw the same thing and ignored it or didn't see the same thing, but it didn't matter because Minnesota lived with the player. So they saw him every day. They knew that he wasn't injured, that his lower right leg wasn't keeping him out of games. So they're in a better position to make sure that they're willing to give him money. But Scott, why did they not give you the 285 over 10 years that they had offered when the offseason started? 
How come you didn't address that? What's the reason that you agreed to a deal that can max out at 270 over 10 years, but it's four team options? What explains that the four vesting and team options are at numbers well lower and add up to numbers less than what they offered when the offseason started? Did something change with the team that saw and lived with him on a day-to-day -day basis? Your critique and your explanation of what took place rings hollow to me because you didn't give us any reason why you accepted less money. Is that because no other teams were offering anything and the Mets had walked away? Could that be the reason? He also went on to say that what happened with Correa it's about a large separation in the orthopedic community about functional fitness and clinical exams versus MRIs. I like it when I used to talk medicine. Even on this show, when I talk about medicine, Coco will say to me, you're not a doctor, don't speculate. Only talk about what we know. When you run a team, you specialize in talking about things you don't know. That's what you do for a living. You stand up there and spin, baby, like a dreidel. We'd go up and talk about anything, about our players, about performance, about what we're expected. When we're losing games, we'd say, hey, this is giving us strength. It's better to lose them now than later. That's always a good one. When you win a lot of games in April, you say, hey, these games are just as important as ones in September. When you lose a lot of games in April, you say, hey, what matters is how you finish, not how you start. I've got every explanation in the book for every possible thing that can happen during the course of a season. It's like a playbook, it's a PR playbook. When it comes to players and their injuries, there's another part of the playbook about what you say and what your expectations are. But when it comes to comparing doctors and talking about clinical exams versus MRIs, here's a news alert, you do both. When you give a physical to a player, even when he's not your player, when you're signing a new free agent, guess what you do? You put your hands on the player and take MRIs. What Boris was trying to say is, it's not about putting your hands on the player, it's about living with the player. Because in theory, Minnesota knows that Correa was ready to play every day, but the other teams don't because they weren't living with him. Guess what, we read box scores. We speak to people in the other organizations. We are very aware that Correa has not missed time because of his lower right leg. You think that's news to the Giants and Mets? Oh my God. Thank God, we thought he was injured, I guess he's not. The Minnesota doctors had nothing to do with this signing. The Mets doctors had nothing to do with why he's not a Met. The Giants doctors had nothing to do with why he's not a Giant. These are decisions made by owners, presidents, and GMs, hard stop. Boris would have you believe that it's a difference in how doctors evaluate. Give me a break. <sighs> All right, when we come back, we're going to review the new Christian Bale movie, and we're going to talk about another press conference that took place yesterday that gave me the willies, and it involved Dana White. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. 
And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. How you doing? Matthew Koch and I come to you every day, five days a week, giving you insight from a front office perspective, from a sports business perspective. You're just not getting it anywhere else. We'll tell you how it is, and we'll keep doing it because you keep listening and watching and subscribing. Don't forget to tell your friends and family. Spread the word. We like it. Should we give away something again, Coca? We didn't We didn't talk about this pre-show. I think like it's time. Because the last giveaway we did, we still never heard from that guy. The 10,000th subscriber on YouTube never contacted us. Why is that? How about this? I'm gonna give away another piece of memorabilia plus, this is silly, but wouldn't it be a good, good thing to have? I'm, I'm talking about a signed piece of memorabilia from a player, but also a nothing personal with David Sampson notepad. Those are pretty cool. I mean, if you're me, they're cool. All right, what can we do, Coca? Let's do a contest. Can it be a random contest? Let's get to, where are we with YouTube? Have we hit, we haven't hit 12,000. Let's get to 12,000 YouTube subscribers. Just go on YouTube. It's YouTube slash at NPDS or YouTube slash Nothing Personal with David Sampson. They both get you to the page. Hit subscribe. We're on there live three days a week. We do shows five days a week. More of you are watching them. Do me a favor, youtube.com backslash at NPDS. Just go there and hit subscribe. Even if you're not a YouTube person, just sign up. You don't have to have YouTube TV. You don't have to do any of that. We are four away from 11,000, but we're gonna do the giveaway at 12,000. There's definitely 1,000 people who are listening to this show who can go on YouTube. There's way more than that. All right, we watch a movie every day. Keep bringing us your suggestions. I watched a movie yesterday that Coca asked me to watch, and I'm gonna review it tomorrow because it's gonna take some time to review it. But my point to you is that uh, a, Coca makes the best suggestions ever, but B, all of your suggestions, I keep a list of them, I love them. There is one thing, I told you there's a bunch of actors out in the world that when they make a movie, I'm watching it. Christian Bale is on that short list. When he makes a movie, I'm watching it. He has a new Netflix movie called The Pale Blue Eye. The Pale Blue Eye takes place in the 1830s. Christian Bale plays a detective who's hired by West Point to investigate a death on the campus of West Point. Is there a serial murderer? Is one of the cadets committing murder? And what they're trying to avoid is West Point looking bad politically because they wanna keep their funding. Lucy Boynton is in the movie. The guy from Harry Potter is in the movie. His name is Harry in real life, but it's not Daniel. And Christian Bale has to 
investigate. And it becomes sort of a suspenseful murder mystery, who did what and why. And you would think that it would be run of the mill. I want to point out the cinema photography, cinematography of this film. It's snowy and gray and dark, and it casts a sort of a light on the movie that puts you in the right frame of mind to think about what it would have been like back in those days. I was fascinated by Christian Bale's performance, and I was dumbstruck by the finale and who did it. Gillian Anderson from The X-Files, if you're an X-Files fan, plays an important role. She's the mother of Lucy Boynton, and uh, I really liked the movie. So it's called The Pale Blue Eye. Christian Bale does not disappoint, does he? Has he done a bad movie? I was trying to think of anything that he's done that I didn't love, and I can't come up with it at all. The Pale Blue Eye, Netflix, check it out. How do we all feel about not working for ESPN? I'm currently at CBS, do work with Metalark, with Lebitard. But one of my rules is that I get to talk about whatever I want to talk about as long as COCA approves. I can get yelled at by anyone I want at CBS, but my answer is always the same. If you don't want to give us full editorial control, then pull our plug. We'll take our business elsewhere. Being able to talk about things is how we gain credibility with you, the audience. Dana White was caught on video on New Year's Eve, open slapping his wife. The amount of talk over the air has been de minimis about this situation. The silence coming out of various places, including basically the owner of UFC has been pretty amazing. Dana White finally addressed the issue. Today is January 12th. He addressed the issue on January 11th. I am all for media training, you know this. I'm all for making sure that you don't speak from emotion, that you have your ducks in a row, that when you talk to the media, you absolutely have a plan and you execute your plan, including rehearsing a press conference. I'm all in. You can't take 10 days to explain what you did, Dana. And once you meet the media and you have an issue that is domestic violence related, you gotta read the room and read society. I think we're in a place right now, thank God, where domestic violence and sexual assault, there's sort of a brand new view of that. It's a view that I would hope would have existed forever, but it hasn't. We're having less and less tolerance as it relates to mediocre players. It used to be no tolerance for bad players plenty of tolerance for mediocre players and full tolerance for great players. We're sort of moving the scale now where there's almost no tolerance for bad players or mediocre players. There's still medium tolerance for great players. What about executives? It all depends on where they are on the chain, right? Where they are in the C-suite, what kind of tolerance there is. I guess there's plenty of tolerance for what Dana White did because of his position. So he's decided that his current tack is going to be one of, hey, I'm not being punished. And he actually said it. Like he rehearsed it and took 10 days to say, what's my punishment? I have to walk around for however long I live and I'm labeled like this now. Another punishment is that media fighters, friends who had respect for me will not have respect for me. That's not good enough. When you're gonna take 10 days to come up with a way to talk to your fan base, do you talk to your fan base as though they don't care about domestic violence? 
because you may think they don't? Or do you talk to your prospective fan base who may care about it, trying to grow your business? Or do you just do what's right? What interests me about this is that the punishment that he's getting, he is simply saying that I am punishing myself and that's enough. That's not how it works. Our criminal justice system is not based on you deciding what your punishment is and then you saying it's enough. I tweeted that it's about looking in the mirror and that Dana White was saying that's bad enough. And I have been a victim of this, I wanna say. I've said many times about people when they don't get punished that the worst punishment of all is they have to live with themselves. They have to look themselves in the mirror. They have to close their eyes when they go to bed. And what I realized is that sociopathic narcissists have the ability to close their eyes at night and see nothing except greatness. They don't see any faults. They don't see any problems. I'm certainly not labeling Dana White. I'm not labeling anybody. You know who you are. You know how you sleep. You know if you're committing crimes. You know what you're doing in your family, outside your family. You know what you're doing in your business. Don't tell me people don't know when they're committing fraud or people don't know when they're committing crimes. What, you got away with a crime? O.J. Simpson, when he sleeps at night, what does he think about? Nothing. Does that make him a sociopathic narcissist? Answer that for yourself. But when you are the head of UFC and you're part of the MMA community, and there's enough questions about that community to start with, right? And you know that your audience, they don't care so much. You know the community's totally toxic. Does that impact what you say during your press conference? You bet you're bippy. It reminded me of NASCAR. Do you remember when NASCAR, they started to get rid of the Confederate flags when there was all the stuff going on with the social reckoning, trying to look for some racial equality? And there were people saying, what are you doing that for? Play to your audience. The NASCAR audience loves Confederate flags, obviously, generally speaking. Those days are over, folks. You can't just play to your audience. Dana White made the mistake yesterday of simply playing to his audience. The reason he's not punished is we've learned that Endeavor didn't care about what he did. ESPN is totally fine with what he did, no matter what they say, because it's such big business. I'm not ending the show now. I'm not gonna say it's just business. It's nothing personal as far as his wife is concerned. But I am gonna say this. What would have been wrong with Dana White taking the podium and disagreeing with what Endeavor did and ESPN did? What would be wrong with actually taking the affirmative approach and saying, I deserved to get way more negative attention that I did because this type of behavior is unacceptable. I deserve to be suspended. I'm never gonna say I deserve to lose my job, but I am taking an unpaid leave of absence for 30 days while I work on my family life and I work on my personal life and I work on understanding why, 30 days is just a start, why I would think it's okay to hit a woman. He didn't say that because he wasn't forced to. Most people who say it, say it because they're forced to. You've heard me talk about people who say they've got sexual addiction right after they get caught cheating, All right? That's normally when people say it. That's when they become sex addicts, only after they're caught. They go into rehab after they're caught or they miss work or they can't perform their job. Not as many people voluntarily change their behavior because it's a sickness and it's hard to do. 
And I have great empathy for that. I don't have great empathy. I'm terrible at empathy. I have great understanding. I learned about empathy from my daughter who is getting her doctorate in psychology. And she told me that empathy, I have to not just feel what other people are feeling, but I have to be in their shoes, experience them feeling it. I'm terrible at it. And I've tried and I'm still trying therapeutically to get more empathy because I think it would be make me a more well-rounded person. But man, it's damn hard. I don't understand how on one point, sorry, Coco, we're off the subject, but on one point, I can't say that I understand what it's like to be in someone's shoes. That's disrespectful. I'm not in their shoes. I'm a person of privilege. But on the other hand, I have to have empathy. How, how can that be? Anyway. All right. <laughs> we won a game. The Bucks beat the Hawks. We, they were favored by two and a half. Trey Young didn't play. We are one and seven. We're off the schneid going for a two game, two game winning streak. What do you do when your team and your best player gets hurt? Kevin Durant has an MCL sprain. He's going to miss maybe two weeks of games for the Nets. Nets have been playing better. Not a much talk. We haven't even mentioned the name Kyrie in so long on this show. We haven't talked about Ben Simmons. We haven't talked about Steve Nash disappearing. We haven't talked about Jacques Vaughn maybe being coach of the year. It's been not a lot of drama. We're about to find out whether or not the Nets can play without Kevin Durant. Uh, not a good way to start to play with the Celtics. The Celtics, who are the top two teams in basketball, they're giving three points against the Nets without Durant. It used to be that it mattered where the games were. It's really not like that in the NBA anymore, just like it used to be the defense mattered. It's really just all about who's the better team. The Celtics are the better team. We're taking, taking Celtics minus three versus the Nets. Okay, NFL playoffs starting Saturday. Six games of wildcard weekend. I love that. I love all these national deals. I don't care that there's money, so much money flowing to the NFL. I'm not jealous of it anymore. It used to be that wildcard weekend was my favorite because it was wildcard weekend. Now they have to call it like wildcard long weekend but they didn't change the name of it. It's not wildcard weekend. We have games Saturday, Sunday, oh, and the Cowboys Buccaneers Monday. It didn't used to be that way. Love that. I wonder if players like having short weeks. They're used to that in the playoffs, right? You have the chance of playing Sunday and then Saturday, but there were never Monday night playoff games. Has there been a Monday night playoff game ever, Coca? Maybe some sort of weather delayed game or something. Anyway, we've got wildcard weekend coming up. And you're starting to see teams as they prepare and you're gonna start seeing teams travel to where they're going. And it's pretty exciting. The matchups are gonna be pretty amazing. I wanna talk about the Dolphins. When I moved to Miami in 2002, since 2002, the Miami Dolphins have not won a playoff game. Just like to point that out. So my son was born in 03, went to college in 21. He spent his entire life growing up in Florida, did not see the Dolphins win a playoff game. Now. You could say, hey, you didn't see the Marlins win a playoff game either. Um, that's not true. They were in the playoffs in 2020. And he was born in June of 2003. So he was alive for a World Series. That's so cheap, right? He was a baby. I have such regret, by the way. One more side note, Coke, I promise. After you win a World Series, you get to go to the White House. And we went to the White House with uh, where George Bush hosted us. And that's something that you dream about, right? I mean, it, it was very, very cool. And uh, we brought our two daughters, but did not bring our infant son. So there's a picture of us with George Bush, the president, and it looks like we have two kids. 
but it's not like we had two kids and then had a third kid later. He was born, we just didn't take him. Totally selfishly, didn't want to worry or deal with an, an infant who was you know four months old at the time or five months old. I think we went in January, I'm not sure, January of 04. Either way, I'm sorry that we didn't bring him. Why was he even talking about that? Oh, because he lived his entire life before going to college and didn't see the Dolphins win a playoff game. The Dolphins are back in the playoffs for the first time in six years and they're going to Buffalo where emotions are obviously gonna run strong. DeMar Hamlin is out of the hospital in Buffalo. Can you believe it? It's been nine days, nine days since he was, his heart had stopped on the field of play and he's now home. It is a medical miracle. Shout out to the trainers, the first responders. The bills are giving money now, which is terrific to getting people certified in CPR. I wish I were certified in CPR. I guess I could be certified in CPR. I am gonna buy an AED, one of those devices in case I have the big one. Someone can do it to me maybe if I'm not alone. But the Dolphins are going into Buffalo and they are tremendous underdogs. They're nine and a half point underdogs. Now they're 12 and a half point underdogs. And the question has been, will Tua play? There's two teams who have quarterback questions. The Ravens, will Lamar play? And the Dolphins, will Tua play? I wanna spend a minute talking to you about Tua and the real issue with Tua right now in Miami is not whether he'll play. As you recall, we have a wait to see uh, that he's out for the year. And we said that weeks ago, he wasn't gonna pay, play in week 17 or 18. And even if they made the playoffs, he was not gonna play in the playoffs. And the reason why we said that back on January 4th is that the NFL is in a danger zone when it comes to Tua. He's had two or three concussions and he can demonstrate all the health he wants. The NFL PA and the NFL and the independent doctors in no way are gonna clear him out of concussion protocol this season. No matter that he can do, you know, four times multiplication, 1,023 times 222, he can be Rain Man for all I care. He can walk a straight line after 12 cocktails, don't care. He's not playing again. The risk is far too great. The questions surrounding Tua are not about will he play this year. The real question within the Dolphin organization is will he ever play again? The Dolphins, if given the opportunity, would absolutely say it's okay for Tua to play, regardless of what Mike McDaniel said. Remember Mike McDaniel, the coach, the rookie coach, said, hey, we only care about the health of the athlete. Well, here they are on Wednesday. Well, so I guess it would happen Wednesday. Here we are on Thursday. On Tuesday, it's timeout, 4-8-69. The Miami Dolphins announced on Wednesday that Tua was not playing. What exactly changed from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday? This was the last possible time they could announce it. The NFL needed them to announce it. There has to be game planning. You have to say who your quarterback's gonna be. There's no question that the Bills were preparing for Skylar Thompson. They knew that Bridgewater was still hurt. You can game plan for Teddy as well, but the key is you're not game planning for Tua. Were the Dolphins not announcing it for strategic reasons? We would do that with a starting pitcher, maybe do that with a closer, with a bullpen arm, pretending they're available when they're not. But if you really cared about Tua's health, you're announcing he's done for the year and you're doing it weeks ago. You are saying it doesn't matter what anybody says in the National Football League or the National Football League Players Association, we are not playing him anymore. 
We don't want to risk this man's life, especially after DeMar Hamlin goes down and we start having conversations, not about him playing football, about him living, ending up living, having a normal life, going to the grocery store. Steve Ross knows better. He's seen the result of players in concussions. He's seen what happens to players in their 50s and 60s. The NFL owners know about the suicides. They know about the lack of cognitive ability. They're aware of all of it. You think they actually care? No, they want to win right now. You can't leave it up to the team, which is why there's protocols in place for the NFL and the NFL PA to have an independent medical consultant who's got a clear amount of concussion protocols, not the team, because there's a chance there's an interest of the team that is not aligned in the long-term interest of the player. Shocking, but true. I get it. Steve Ross, an octogenarian who has had zero success as owner of the Dolphins, zero. Great revenue success. Landshark Stadium is an unbelievable stadium. They've redone it. They're getting more and more public money, getting more and more great events. They had a great F1 race, great concerts, circuses. Everything's amazing there. But the one thing they're supposed to do is win playoff games, win a Super Bowl. It hasn't happened. They're invested in Tua. They forfeited their first round pick in this year's draft. All of that is true. Are they going to go ahead and get another quarterback for next year? The front office of the Dolphins, that's what they've got to be focused on right now. There's no question about it. They've got to be deciding, are they going to be in the free agent market? Are they going to be in the trade market? Maybe Derek Carr, maybe Baker Mayfield. Could it be Lamar Jackson if he's made a free agent, if he's not tagged? Why isn't Lamar Jackson playing this Sunday? Sunday night against the Bengals in a rematch of week 18. Where's he been for 40 days? Sprained MCL? That's it? Is that a 40-day absence? Or is he not practicing because he doesn't want to get really hurt and hurt his ability to get tagged or get money in a free agent because he wants to get paid? I am not impugning the desire of Lamar Jackson to win a Super Bowl by any stretch. I'm certainly saying that the Baltimore Ravens have to think twice about whether or not they're going to give him the deal that I thought they were going to give him, which is greater than Murray and less than Watson. When you've missed six games two years in a row, you've got to worry about longevity. When you see these quarterbacks being signed to deals where they're not performing or they get hurt, you've got to think about committing that money. You don't think there's questions about Tua's long-term health or Lamar Jackson's long-term health? Owners can only fool themselves for so long. It's going to be an interesting weekend. I'm glad two is not playing. It's better for him, not better for the Dolphins. We'll do our picks tomorrow. All right, follow up to yesterday. We had a wait to see. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. And when it happens, we revisit it. When it doesn't happen, we revisit it. It's something that's very important to me and Matthew. Uh, Coca, we want to make sure that we have credibility. We make mistakes. You guys send corrections. We like it. We said yesterday that Deadman, the Miami Heat player who threw that massage device onto the court, that he's going to be suspended by the NBA or by the Miami Heat. I said that he should be taken off the team and not be allowed to play anymore. He should be waived or traded. The Heat announced, wait for it, a one-game suspension. One game. That's it. Conduct unbecoming a center is one game. It's about a $35,000 hit. I think he makes about $4.5 million. I think it's a little low. Listen to yesterday's show. We talked about maybe Pat Riley's getting a little soft, but that's still a yes on the wait to see. 
maybe Pat Riley really is going to do what we thought and realize that at the end of the day, one game is plenty because it's just business. One game? This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.